0: There's a column for the A-1, A-2, B-5, B-6, A-B-9, ooh, ooh, ooh,
1: we know those are cells. Hello, welcome to our 20th episode of There's a Column for That. I'm your host, author, storyteller, and podcaster, Jamie Beth Cohen. Today I'm talking to Oliver Trong, who works in the political and nonprofit sector. Oliver is an optimist with an MBA, and if you know me at all, you know i'm not an optimist and i disappointed both my mom and my middle school math teacher by not getting my mba so this became an interesting conversation in shifting perspectives and moving defaults oliver's from lancaster and recently returned home to help progressive political candidates get elected to do that work you'd have to be an optimist but you'd also have to be really good at spreadsheets. So I was lucky to get him on the show to talk about what and how and why he does what he does. Oliver is also an Asian American, and towards the end of the conversation, we talk about Asian American Pacific Islander Month and a book written by the amazing Alexander Chi that I have just read and Oliver was just starting called How to Write an Autobiographical Novel. I think writers and anyone interested in the AIDS epidemic and the history of AIDS activism should read this book. My chat with Oliver was recorded on May 20th, and we're releasing it on May 31st. Please remember to wear your mask. Black lives still matter. Joe Biden is the rightfully elected president of the United States. And remember, spreadsheets save lives. Please follow us on Twitter at column underscore pod, and please be in touch. Hi Oliver, welcome to There's a Column for That.
0: Hello, thanks for having me.
1: (laughs) Oh, my pleasure. Can you tell me and our listeners a little bit about yourself? where you're from, where you live, how you identify, what line of work you're in. Do you have hobbies or passions that take up a lot of your brain space related to or unrelated to spreadsheets? Anything you wanna share.
0: Sure. Uh, my name is Oliver Trong. I was born and raised in Lancaster County. That's where I'm currently living, but spent time living in DC, New York, Michigan, San Francisco before returning. Um, I identify as Vietnamese American and gay, cisgendered man. I work in politics. I recently, and by recently, probably like two years, uh, picked up fencing. So I am a saber fencer. Um, which is is super fun
1: interesting thing to pick up in adulthood I feel like
0: yeah yeah I one summer I was living in San Francisco at the time and one summer I was just looking for something to change up the physical routine right (laughs) like I was going to the gym like treadmill lifting I just got bored I used to dance but I didn't want to go back into dance so I was trying to find something something new and I was like oh yeah fencing and then once I had started looking it up and it just became more and more interesting. Signed up for a beginner's class at a club in San Francisco and, and got hooked. And I think what I really like about fencing is there's so much of my day-to-day where I just think and overthink and then right. over-overthink. Right. And with fencing, in particular, my weapon, there's no room to think. You just have to execute. So there's this wonderful balance and, and, and peacefulness that I get when I'm done fencing because it's forcing me to exercise a different part of my brain. And get me out of my head get me into my body and just go for it
1: yeah i know a lot of writers who horseback ride for that reason it's Mm. just a clearing of the Mm -hmm. mind and a physical a different kind of physicality than they're used to in their regular day life or just sitting behind a desk all day so it gets them out and yeah nature mindset and physical change all at the same time
0: yeah Yeah, yes that's been fun
1: so do you fence here in Lancaster? Is there, are there opportunities? I do.
0: Yes, there is, okay. there's a club. Um, it We are temporarily in the Lancaster farm and home center. Mm-hmm. We were at Spooky Nook. They kicked us out. Um, I think for revenue and profit reasons, I think there were higher margin <laughs> sports um, sure. that could use the space that we were in. Um, but yeah, there's a small and mighty club. Um, and yes, I'm the, one of very few adults, the only one in, within my age range. And with my weapon, there's a 14 year old girl and a 70 plus year old man. So it's very, it's, our class is very interesting. And I will give it to my coach that we have such different strategies and, and needs for coaching. I, I applaud him for managing us.
1: That is amazing. Wow. See, this is why I like to talk to people. <laughs> I would have never known that about you. So how do you interact with spreadsheets in your work or your personal life?
0: Yeah, mostly through work. Um, Gosh, a couple different ways. I think the biggest thing that uh, I created is more of a, a database. Um, So with my work, I work for an organization that is really focused on leadership, recruitment, and developing within the political and advocacy space. On the political side, there's a lot of talk about the political pipeline, right? Like who do we have running for office? At what levels? Because when you look at higher office, there's a bench. And for the bench, there's another bench, right? There's all these levels. Um, So creating a database to really track who have we trained over time. And so that's a big piece of work. I use Airtable for that, um, which I really enjoy. This is not, I'm not, this is not an ad for Airtable. I'm not (laughs) getting sort of promotion for Airtable.
1: Nor am I.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I really enjoy the functionality of Airtable. It's, um, getting a little bit more functionality within the cell, um, more sorting capabilities, um, and the ways to link different views of a database together. It's just really, really robust. Um, so when you're doing like quick analysis of who do we have in Allegheny County or who we have in New York County or any of the who do we have in this particular district, it's really really easy to slice and dice. So I've done that.
1: Would you mm-hmm. call Airtable a database or a spreadsheet program or a CRM? What how do you how would you call
0: Less CRM, Okay. Um, I think they mark as like a spreadsheet plus plus, um, okay. that's how they get their customers and users to really interact with it because we all generally know how to use a spreadsheet. Got it. Um, I introduced it to a colleague and she's like, this reminds me of Microsoft Access, which is pure play database. Um, so I think there's functionalities there and depending on how you design it, you can create CRMs on top of it. I'm a big fan of CRMs. I've okay. I've worked and I've created home built CRMs and past jobs. So I, I do like working with data for this particular purpose. I use, um, AirTable. I've, I'm not wedded to Excel versus sheets, depending on what needs to happen. I'll use either. I'm also a big map geek. So I actually have, I've personally downloaded GIS software on one of my computers to map. And so I use a lot of, uh, of spreadsheets there to make sure the data sets um, are appearing correctly in GIS, so.
1: Cool, yeah. very cool. So what's the biggest or your favorite problem, program or project you've tackled with a spreadsheet?
0: So before I moved back to Lancaster, I was living in San Francisco at the time and I was at that point reaching two, two and a half years in San Francisco. And I, this is the beginning of the, the, the pandemic everything was turned up on its head. I've had this idea of moving back to back home for the 2020 election. And I was trying to find a way to network, make some more contacts. And one of the things I did was map party registration within Lancaster County over time. And I wanted to use that as and create some sort of content. And my friend Kevin Ressler was able to host that on his One United Lancaster page. And I used that to try to start some conversation with some folks back in Lancaster. So that is, it's less a self-contained spreadsheet project, but I had to you know pull all the data from the county website, rearrange it, make sure that was set, and then load that into my GIS software and start mapping. So you can see how voter, registr- uh, voter registration trends change over time in the county. That was okay. fun.
1: I have a couple follow-up questions. Number one, <laughs> Kevin Ressler was an early guest on this show. So everyone should go back and listen to his episode. Number two, why were you why did you think doing this project would get you back to Lancaster?
0: I wanted to bring some data and data visualization to a conversation I feel that folks have always been talking about. I think where we live what I call as a frontier market for progressives and liberals and the democratic party. Um, And there's this idea that demographics are on our side, Um, that when you look at at, um, population change, you look at um, new residential developments, when you live here, you get a sense of like where different political cultures express themselves across the county. So I wanted to put numbers and data behind it. Um, I wanted to validate that. And as I was doing this, uh, the local paper actually did the same story. Um, So Carter Walker published um, a piece around the demographic shifts in Lancaster and I wanted to go in deeper. Um, I wanted to go in deeper and provide a little bit more Mm -hmm. visualization. And that's how I actually connected with uh, Courtney Morton who's the local democratic leader in Manhattan township. So it did work um, to, to get the conversation going and say, hey, I'm from Lancaster. I'm thinking about the stuff. Let me write a piece of content and see if I can drive some eyeballs, make some introductions, continue with my networking, that type of thing.
1: Wow. That's fascinating. I don't know if you're an optimist or not. I think you are. I think we've had this conversation (laughs) before. I I am not. (laughs) Um, So as someone who isn't from here, but has lived here for the past 11 years, which in Lancaster time is a blip. I mean, I might Mm -hmm. as well still be on vacation here as far as Lancastrians are concerned, and you who grew up here and left, um, I have been disappointed with what I expected to be sort of a stronger shift left not necessarily with political candidates, so I think we've fielded some great ones. But mm-hmm. with with what constitutes being progressive here? Ooh,
0: yeah. Ooh, man, Just going right in there. Yeah. <laughs> the, I, <laughs> the idea of progressive in Lancaster is much. Let me tell you, much different than oh, in San Francisco. Much different than New York. Much different than Michigan. Ah. Uh, so growing yeah. up
1: here, did you mm-hmm. know that coming back or did you think, oh, it must have changed more while I was gone?
0: I, I felt like there were some changes, right? Like Before I left, um, I actually, I ran Kevin Ressler's 2017 campaign and he ran on a, a very progressive platform. Yes. Um, and that was in Lancaster City, which is known to be the progressive bastion. Yes. I'm using air quotes here in yes. um, Lancaster County. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I knew that there was energy. Um, I think that it, it's really hard to um, it's really hard to quantify and qualify. I think there are a lot of factors to measure. individual voters proclivities, impressions, like the topic of the day. There's so many variables that may happen on any given moment within an, a, a neighborhood or a county's political development. And so I'm, I'm hedging a little bit, but I will say that there is a general shift left. And I think it's a how much are you, what's your expectation of change? And what is your expectation of the pace of change? And I think that is where folks may feel frustrated or hopeful because they, they see the time horizon differently. Mm-hmm. I think they see the time horizon as there is more time. Or time has passed, right, depending on how you view Mm -hmm. the issues that you care about the community, how you draw the community that you care about. And then what has happened in that community. I think that's where people take away either a sense of optimism or pessimism.
1: I know when we were moving here from Los Angeles, and many of my friends we were working in the Jewish nonprofit world there, we're like, is there even a synagogue there? And I was like, yes, there is a reform, a conservative, an orthodox, there's a JCC. What I wish people had asked was, do you think they'll wear masks in a global pandemic? (laughs) That's been shocking.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a big shrug. I. When I explain Lancaster to my friends in San Francisco, my friends, my progressive friends and liberal friends I met in, in, in graduate school, and I, I went to a program where I think there's this spectrum of political ideology there. I think it just goes back to this idea of like, who, how do you view your community? And this idea, and my friend is a social, social psychologist, this idea of in-group, out-group dynamics some folks draw their community very, very large, very inclusive. um, And some folks draw that very, very narrowly. Um, And when I think about my work in politics, it's, it's about bridging that in and out, both at the very micro level, right? Like when I start working with candidates and coaching candidates, it's this idea of how do you become relatable? Like how you become relatable, what are the skills, the overt versus subvert ways of showing that you're in the community. So that could be things that like jargon that you say, vocabulary that you use, how you talk about yourself, how you talk about the issues at the very micro level. And then the macro level, right? Those strategies around the campaigns and, and movement building and, and base building. And how do you, you know again, use language, use tactics to build that. Um, and I think it's that constant where do you draw that line? How do you push that line to say these folks are within the community? How do we think about community more broadly? It's hard because everyone starts at a, at a different default. It takes time to understand what that default is, um, especially now when we think about the the dialogue. It's so hyper partisan. It's so confrontational. It's so. It's honestly it's sometimes really really scary to try to start that conversation. Yeah. But I think in the work and the, the way I view my work in politics, it's very much there. It's, it's understanding that everyone has this default and how, how can you shift them? How far can you shift them? And then over how long of time can you get them to a certain point of you want, quote unquote, want them where you want them, right? So vote for you to support this cause, to, to take this particular action. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's both art and science and it takes time and a lot of emotional <laughs> investment as well.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, that's sort it of gets into my next question. We may have already yeah. covered that, but what are the limits of spreadsheets? What kind of problems can they not solve or what kind of projects can they not help you tackle? Yeah, and There is that human element and that art Absolutely. element to even the most simple data set at mm-hmm. times.
0: Yeah, yeah, working with numbers, working with finite data points. I just had a conversation with my, my uh, boss, uh, this week, right? We're trying to, when we think about recruiting candidates, we need to set a geographic scope and we need to draw a line, right? Like with certain data sets, with, with certain map making projects, you have to set a limit. And there are downstream implications for a lot of different work when you set that limit. Um, so there is not a forgiving gradient um, when you're trying to work with spreadsheets and databases. So being aware of that limit. right? We were talking about Center County and State College and he was asking, why didn't you draw this line all the way through here? I mean, the first thing I respond is like, this, this project that I'm doing right now is incredibly tedious. <laughs> so there was a human element of me just saying, nah I got it. <laughs> um and then we had a whole conversation around all right like so if we extend this uh region into these particular municipalities what is the downstream effect do we say am I expected to dive into like the business network within this municipality knowing that is not favorable recruitment territory for us and so yeah that, that there's that real conversation around where do you draw that line right what's that upper limit what's that lower limit. Um, So I would say that's, yeah, absolutely. That's a major, major limitation.
1: That reminds me of doing like event planning and RSVP charts and projections (laughs) and like having like half of person, right? So like everyone (laughs) you expect to come as a one, everyone you expect to come as a zero, and then the people you're not sure about or and if you're lucky, that sums to some whole number, but right. occasionally you're like, oh, we have to plan for 32 and a half people. And then people who don't <laughs> understand spreadsheets are like, are you insane? And it's like, well, it'll all work itself out eventually. Right. Right. But that is right. that unforgiving. It's either a person or it's not a person. It's, like, <laughs> <That means laughs> it's half a person. <laughs> what is the silliest thing you've ever used a spreadsheet for?
0: I don't know if this is silly, but I, it, it, it's certainly one method of, of this project. So going to grad school, uh, and I went to University of Michigan and we at, uh, and then Students Weekend, we found a bunch of people and were like, let's go in on a group house together. Um, and so when we all arrive in the fall, we had to figure out how to select rooms and then price the rooms. So we knew that the rent for this house was this amount. And then we all had our preferences and we found this model, like this weird, like quasi-bidding, like preference calculation. Now that I'm talking about it, I want to pull it back up again. (laughs) (laughs) Because we we arrived like we found a way that everyone got the room that they preferenced, and then we were able to calibrate the rent to take and factor in the different quirks within different rooms. Um, and we had to use various formula within a spreadsheet to calculate all of this um gosh now i'm talking about it, you know, i want to go back <laughs> I what that. exactly were those formulas but yeah we ended I up like that. arriving at a very very happy medium for the house
1: well one of my guests talked about going to a conference and at the at, when at the time they booked hotel rooms, there were you know they were only offsite hotel rooms, and some people were coming in on Thursday, but some people weren't coming in on Saturday, and so they had like six people spread out across two hotel rooms, all having to pay different amounts of money, and that's it reminded me of that. Mm-hmm. Although that was more simple because it was one weekend. Um, what did you go to grad school for? I, I I feel like I want to know who was involved in these negotiations. Like, so what what was the grad school for?
0: Yeah, I got my MBA, so I went oh to business God. school. Yes, um, I always joke that I got a degree in capitalism. Right. Uh, right. Right. And yeah, the the folks that were there. I mean, we had a we had a very math heavy guy. He now works in investment banking. Like no one should be surprised there. Mm-hmm. Um, we had someone who worked in retail. I was coming. I was, I guess, a nonprofit person. If you looked at my resume before business school, um, you know, you had some medical researcher. Um, and it was like a whole mixed bag. And I this think like the
1: first thing you did as like a
0: house, like a collective yeah. house. I mean, like yeah, we once we all moved in, right? Yeah. We all arrived at different days. And we're like, okay, before everyone really unpacks, right. let's tackle this challenge. That I hadn't had to think about since I was in college,
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Um,
0: which was yeah, like how do we reconcile like room preferences and and how do we split the rent. <laughs> when yeah. I was
1: living in Los Angeles, a friend of mine who is a math professor, a math PhD, was attending like the national math conference in San Diego, and I was like, "I'll drive down to San Diego and have dinner with you." I crashed. A math conference like i literally went to a session without a badge or anything which is like the silliest thing i think i've ever done in my life and then we went out for dinner after and i calculated the check i was like i'm sorry <laughs> Are you not all math master students and phd students or phds i am the ma creative writer and I was the one calculating the check for everyone. I don't know why or how it happened. I just know it happened. And I laugh about it all the time.
0: I I think there's that element with folks who are like super really skilled in certain area that they shoot up and they kind of forget the basics.
1: Well, <laughs> the actually blocks. my math professor friend told me the further you go in math, the more you learn that what you had learned before is false.
0: Oh. It, it's
1: actually, you know, I. I I'm going to butcher all of this, but it's sort of like we think of numbers as like negative one, zero, one, like on a number line. And I think he would say something to the effect of like number lines are a fiction to teach kids math. And once you get up into that level, number lines, that fiction doesn't help you anymore. It actually hinders you. It also might have been a social skill situation yep. where I was like, "Okay, we need to pay and we need to tip, and I would like to go to the bar now. So can we get on with this?"
0: So. Right, right. I, I, in those situations, first off, like large group dinners give me so much anxiety because of that particular activity. How do you split the bill, right? Because mm-hmm. I think again, mm-hmm. people with different defaults. Some people mm-hmm. come in and they five, they, they take advantage of the opportunity over order. Some people are very conservative in how they order. Yep. Then you have like one person who are trying to like splinter off their meal, right? They yep. get the, the weights staff be like, can I yep. just <laughs> do this? Usually that's me. Um, but, I, <laughs> but there's an app that is really great called Splitwise. Um, uh-huh. And that it does all of the calculations, right? Like who, who covers certain people? How do you split this? Is it split evenly? Is it split only between some people? Um, so when I travel with a group, I try to socialize Splitwise so that at the end, there isn't a awkward fight around shared expenses.
1: Right. (laughs) Um, Okay, we've hit our rapid fire, some of which you have already um, talked about a little bit. So Excel, Google Sheets, something else, sub question, Mac, PC, tablet, phone, like what's your ideal situation? And then what do you typically end up doing regardless of your ideal situation?
0: Yeah. um, So on the first question, I use them all. I, there is really no preference. I think if I'm doing like more analysis, I'll use Excel because um, I think I, I just feel more comfortable with it. And then on the, the actual computer setup, I work on a Mac, but my GIS software is on a PC. Um, and then sometimes I have an iPad sitting next to me as my second second monitor, Um, but I, when I'm working, I very much need like a computer. Like I haven't transitioned into a iPad with accessory extensions. Like there's something comforting about knowing that I have computing power when I need it. And then if I like need a distraction, I can quickly go to like YouTube (laughs) and and then know that, you know, like everything's going to like flow easily. And then when I need to, you know, like, oh crap, I need to go back to work. It's, it's a very quick transition.
1: Right. Right. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. What about your favorite command or function and in which
0: program? Um, I, again, it depends on what I'm doing. Um, In Excel, like depending on the data set, big fan of V lookups, right? Trying to identify a source of information very quickly. Um, Huge fan of pivot tables huge fan of pivot tables (laughs) and so when I'm doing like again voter analysis or like a a data set that has multiple different iterating relating columns huge on pivot tables Um, and so for example one of the things I do is when we're doing our training programs like I need to report out on a variety of different data data fields so what's the what's the gender breakdown what's the um, sexual orientation breakdown. What's the race, um, race, ethnicity breakdown, county breakdown. And so all of that is just throw it into Excel, run a pivot table, drag, drag, get the numbers, love pivot tables.
1: So we just had an interesting conversation on the show about pivot tables in that in the early days, they were a nightmare. You were essentially programming something. Mm. Did you come to Excel when it was already drag and drop?
0: Yes. Yeah, see so that's why that's why you love pivot tables.
1: It's so interesting. There is like the, there are you know and so let me ask you this did you when you came to excel could you sort by color?
0: Um I I think I needed that function After I got to know the program more, Um, so So there was a
1: time when you could not sort by color, and so those of us who came to the program prior to that had all these workarounds, like a a, another column, right, that would essentially say this this row is yellow, this row is red. Now sort by this column, and so it's interesting to me that people, you know, pivot tables are this real line of demarcation Hmm. for people in Excel, but it means something different if you came to the program, yeah. You know, 15 years ago versus coming to the program with one of the more recent drag, drop, select, highlight, boom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. If I came into the program where I had to code a pivot table, I would probably hate pivot tables. I
1: think it was very similar to coding in in the beginning. Yeah. And that it's really funny. I interviewed a woman. um, The episode went up last week, I think. And I actually knew her mom who was a professional secretary, who is still a professional Mm -hmm. secretary, and I babysat for her. So I'm sort of in this Mm -hmm. middle generation between the two of them. And when I asked her about pivot tables, her response was, "Oh, my mom told me to stay away from them. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) your mom told you to stay away from them because she didn't know that now they're super, well, that's super easy, but they're more easy, so. Yes. Yes, A real generational marker. Speaking of color, how do you feel about color coding cells or typeface or how much do you use color as a as a function or as um, a formatting in Excel? Yeah, or-
0: I try to minimize color um, mm-hmm. because I think that's just an extra dimension to manage. And so I use color to draw attention to follow up, right? Mm-hmm. So I usually like highlight this, be like, I need to verify this. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I'm doing it as a data set that I don't know that color and a gradient or a spectrum is helpful to present, then I will use that. Um, An Airtable, there are, you can, the the use of color is definitely there. And so on like drop down options to fill a cell, Mm -hmm. you can use color and I've used color to prior, like we have 15 priority counties that we work in. Mm -hmm. Um, So, using color to highlight like, Hey, again, drawing attention. Um, so I try to be very, very minimal. Um, I think it's probably because I don't think in color. Mm. And I think Mm -hmm. that's probably another distinction where like, it's very much the data and the numbers. And then color is an overlay that I could use as opposed to color as a tool to organize. Right.
1: Right. That makes sense. Um, what's the one thing about spreadsheets that you think other people might not know?
0: Um, I think it's the, the use of spreadsheets as a, or integrating spreadsheets into other tools, right? Like it's not the, when I look at spreadsheets, it can be self-contained, right? I'm working within this particular set of data, um, and this is what I'm working, but using spreadsheets to feed into another program, to feed into something else, um, like your first step in collecting your, your data. Um, I don't know if that would soothe or actually stress out someone who's new to spreadsheets. Like, wait a minute, there's more. <laughs> this can lead into something else I don't know about. Um, but I, it's just so it's, it's so flexible depending on what you, you need to get done. Um, and, and sometimes if I'm like running with a list, I know I need to sort. Like if I know that I'm running with a lot of data I need to store, I will put that in the spreadsheet first as opposed to Word. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are certain things that I'm like, all right, I'm going to crunch some data. I'm going to pull something together. I'm going to go spreadsheet because I know I need X, Y, and Z functionality.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. I can't tell you how many times in the beginning I would start a Word document and think, what have I done to myself? This just needs (laughs) to be Excel. And now I think I'm more guilty of putting everything in Excel, some of Mm, which would probably mm -hmm. be fine in Word, but just my brain is like, oh, let's make a chart. Like, let's make a spreadsheet. Super (laughs) exciting. Um, you already touched on this a little bit, but um, do you have feelings about CRMs and spreadsheets? And you said you built your own. I think that's really interesting because a lot of people that I've talked to, we've sort of come up with the understanding that anyone who's worked in the nonprofit sector typically has a substandard CRM if they have one at all. <laughs> and so I'm curious about this idea of like, well, you just built your own. Like, tell me more.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, the, the time I built my own was because there was a, uh, a need for some sort of data management system um, and no resource to solve that problem. Um, so I was working at a international organization, it's membership driven. So the organization thrived on membership contracts um, and I was essentially a junior salesperson. Um, so I needed to, we I needed to answer where is this account right like so like account development account management um so i yeah started in excel um, and started to try to build out um, something that can capture developments over time it was it was ugly <laughs> it was bad <laughs> but it, it we just needed to get started and thankfully the organization was starting to implement Salesforce and so okay. like mm-hmm. once that came enterprise wide then I was like great here's all the work that I did consultants I'm going to throw this at you right and figure out how do we right. design all of this um so my 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 thing is, again, scale, need, um, complexity. Um, I've, I've been on teams where they're like, oh, we got a free Salesforce license. I'm like, hold on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hold on, do we need this? Do we mm-hmm. absolutely need this? Because there's a whole feature set where you can absolutely just get lost
1: yeah.
0: and yeah. overthink it and sure. overcomplicate your entire operation. For sure.
1: I feel like one of the CRMs I worked on, and there might be a technical term for this, I don't know if this is going to make sense at all. And it's, it's possible this was all user error, but I don't think so. You could only run a report in real time. There was no way to say, give me this data from two days ago. Huh. And I don't know, I should probably track down my tech guy from that job because he he was great. And I would go to him with things and he would answer questions yeah. and he would say like, we want to run this thing. You're the one who's going to use it. And we would do, we would collaborate. But what it meant was I had to run a report every Friday morning yeah. and save it in Excel. Yep. And my Excel sheets over the year were the only way that we could go back and say, how many applications did we have on March mm-hmm. 5th? well, here's hoping March 5th was a Friday, or I'm going to give you March 2nd or March 7th. or, And I, he, I feel like he explained to me at one point why the database was only, and I think it had something to do with the word relational. And I, I, that's all I'm remembering at this point. Yeah. But it Oof. was super hard to run yeah. an admissions office. Right. When the only access you had was the real-time data. So yeah. if Hey, this year, we wanted to know something that we hadn't run a report on last year at this time. Right. Could not go back and get that historical data for that date.
0: Oof, that sounds so frustrating.
1: Dark ages. Definitely dark ages. I should definitely track him down. That would be a fun interview, <laughs> at least for me. <laughs> um, and then my last rapid fire, which we have already covered, is do you know why and how to make a pivot table?
0: yeah well now I do yeah drag and drop (laughs) it it's beautiful it's amazing everyone should use it now
1: (laughs) I agree it's a great plug for that Um, okay we've had our final thoughts area so what's getting you through the pandemic any media books movies shows podcasts albums or fencing like what like what do you think other people should look into if they're struggling these days
0: I, what got me through the pandemic was just, again, maybe this is because I'm an optimist, letting myself really dream and explore travel through YouTube and the internet. Mm. Um, I like travel is huge for me. I love international travel. And thankfully there's just a lot of travel content on the internet. Mm. So I would just, you know, just start looking up flights and looking up these travel bloggers and these beautiful youtube videos and just letting myself escape for just this brief moment like and so before i was logging on to this i was actually watching a travel video in kyoto japan a destination that i absolutely adore and just seeing you know their take on it and just reminiscing of 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 past trips and again because i'm an optimist seeing that light at the end of the tunnel as as economies start to reopen, as, as folks start to really figure out how we can get international travel back, um, maybe I'm just projecting onto this future trip that I want to take. Um, so that's what's gotten me through. Um, I I actually am trying to finish, I'm like 75% of the way through Barack Obama's memoir. Okay. Um, so that's on my nightstand. And then I'm also one of those people that I just has a long book list that I'm just like I should get around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I should get around to all of this. Um it is um you know National Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month and so there's a whole there, I have a mini stack of Asian American writers. So Viet Thanh Nguyen and I have Alexander it's I'm looking at it right now. Alexander Chi How to Write uh, How to Write an Autobiographical Novel.
1: So I just finished that book for my craft oh, yeah. writing book group. So yeah. I'm in a book group with a lot of other writers and we read a craft book every month and um I'm just not going to ruin it for you just please
0: don't yeah please don't there's a I have a group of friends in, in San Francisco that um oh my gosh all, yeah yeah
1: yeah so have you read any of it yet you haven't started nope.
0: it nope okay. nope it's still fresh right it still has yep. that fresh book feel right look at yeah. this Yeah. super fresh yeah. yeah
1: I there's I think there will be a lot I mean I think what's so amazing I mean, I read a lot of memoirs and a lot of craft books these days are a blend of memoir, like how I live Mm -hmm. my life and how I write and how those two things fit together. Mm. And so cheese is definitely that. I mean, it's definitely like, here are things that have happened in my life. Um, I was hyper aware of the AIDS crisis and, you know, I'm realizing now that kids today aren't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I One of the things that I did in D.C. was I danced with the Gay Men's Chorus in D.C. So I didn't sing because I didn't want to stand on the risers and be under the heat that long. But that was one of the things that was an eye-opening experience for me. It was this is an experience that I didn't relate to. I didn't live through. But it's so such an impactful moment in the in the community. And it shapes a lot of how that generation views community. Um and yeah, I'm seeing that legacy in those stories, losing a sense of gravity, um, connectedness as generations start coming into, into this space and, and leaving their mark on what this community needs. So it is very interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of just understanding who your elders and your communities are. Um, and the stories that they have. And when I was in San Francisco trying to get my feet into politics, that's one of the things that I absolutely adored was sitting down and and listening to the fights and the organizing, the stories, the battles, the wins, the losses that happen in history and time because a lot of the lessons can be carried over. There's a reason why certain things are done in a certain way. There's a reason why the community developed in a certain way. There's a reason why a local community is expressed in a certain way. It's because of these past leaders. So... Uh, That's one thing that because I work in politics, because there's such a longevity and a history and and a language, there's there's so much there trying trying to pay true deference because yes, you can have a lot of innovative ideas, but a place has history and the history didn't start when you stepped in it.
1: There's um, a documentary that I I don't know um, how, well, Katie Couric did it. It was a Katie Couric Maybe National Geographic, or mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's you can find it on YouTube. Um, it might have been PBS about tra- trans individuals in America, mm-hmm. and one of the segments has like an elder stateswoman who was like one of the first trans tennis stars, mm-hmm. and then a young trans actor, and the two of them talking, and basically the elder stateswoman of tennis was sort of saying some things that are not really said out loud these days, Mm -hmm. sort of had a a, a retro old feel. And listening to the younger woman say, it's so important for me to hear your stories because while I would never talk about it in those terms and I don't think it's helpful these days to talk about it in those terms, I need to understand that you were doing everything you could do then. And so to show that handing of the the yep. elder stateswoman to the young one, it was really, the whole documentary I thought was a great, I think my friend presented it to me as like, this is a great documentary for suburban moms to watch. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's me. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's not incredibly radical. It's Katie Couric, mm-hmm. but that was actually a really tender moment. And then you know, Billy Porter, who's from Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. just announced that he's been HIV positive for 14 years. Mm-hmm. Um, that just came out this week. And for me, the memory of learning that friends had AIDS and that meant a death sentence yeah, is yeah. still so visceral for me. Yep. Um, and to think that that's not how people engage with um, the virus or the disease now is yep. fascinating. Really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're going to love cheese book. You're going to love cheese
0: book. I'm excited. Yes. It's in the queue. It's in the queue.
1: Very cool. What about you? Anything you're working on that you think people should know more about? Any um, causes that you want to shout out, social media handles, anything?
0: I think my biggest call to action is if you're thinking about running for office, do it. I think that there are some folks out there who have this idea Um, that running for office requires, yes, it requires a lot of work, but it's not, um, it shouldn't be opaque. Um, Our system is designed in a way that anybody who wants to do it should be able to do it. Now, are there true structural barriers? Yes. But if you're out there and you're listening and you think you can make a a change in your community, you want to make a change in your community, running for elected office is a great way of doing that. And I think folks who are underrepresented in our elected offices across the country need to hear that message over and over and over again. More so, right? Mediocre cisgendered straight white men do not need to hear that to run for office, but everyone else does. So if you're out there, you want to make a change in your community, get on the ballot, um, and do if it. Did
1: can someone look for advice or support, or I mean, I'm sure it's hyper local, so it's different everywhere. But yeah. are there Websites they can Google or national organizations that they should look
0: into. Yeah, um, every I would say every identity community has um, an organization. So if you're a pro-choice woman, go to Emily's List. If you are under forty, run for something. If you are black, the Collective Pack. If you are LGBTQ, um, the LGBTQ Victory Fund. Um, there are a lot of different organizations. Um, the National Democrat, if you are identify with the Democratic Party, the National Democratic Training Committee is an online training platform that gives you a crash course of what does it mean to campaign. Um, if you identify with a certain party, connect with your local party, um, those parties v- highly vary in terms of how resource they are, mm-hmm. um, how, how, how much um, support they can give you ask around. Um, I think it's one of those things that, yes, it is hyper local, And if you're thinking about running for office, you're probably running for school board or borough council or township commission. And so that's likely where you're going to start. Um, just ask the question, attend some meetings, Um, Or
1: volunteer. I mean, I would highly recommend canvassing as a great way for sort of anyone to have that like toe dip in, because Mm -hmm. I will say as someone who is not likely to run for office for a (laughs) variety of reasons, both good reasons and silly reasons, you know, when I canvass for other candidates, I'm always impressed by the training you get like on the spot, like it's, it is for me, canvassing has been made so simple and it's something that we could do as a family in the mm, like yes, know, before times absolutely. when, yes. you know, before the pandemic cause I have kids who are too young to be vaccinated. So I would highly recommend, you know if you don't know where to start if there's a candidate local to you that excites you just yes. volunteer your time. And through that, not only will you get training you'll meet the people who do the training, who then yep. know the people who do that. The, so I just, yeah, getting involved and just going out there has been great.
0: Yeah, so that's a big thing. And when we look at our democracy, we need more people running. There are tons and tons of offices that are either uncontested, they either have no candidates running period, which is what happened in where I'm in in Eastland Peter Township. There are certain offices where there's literally no one running or only one person is running and therefore they're a shoe in and, and so we just need more people out there. So if it's you or it's someone that you know, mm-hmm. run for office, do it. Awesome.
1: And now we're at our last question. And this is a question that you get to ask me and it can be related to spreadsheets or anything else.
0: Have you had a guest on that? Or you're just like, after the interview, you're like, no. <laughs> you don't have to share I'm just I think this could be a yes or no question but I'm very curious have you like interviewed someone and you're like after doing this recording this is this is, this is not going to happen so
1: I'm happy to say no I have not what okay. I will say is certain um, recordings are more challenging for my husband to edit than others so I will say that um, some guests prove to be an editing challenge but but not many I will tell you that I interviewed my best friend who is a business person mm-hmm. and owns her own business and hates spreadsheets. We sort of did it as a goof. And she did make us take out my favorite part of the interview. But like, we've known each other since we were 12 and she's like a really important business person now. So it, it didn't yeah. surprise me, um, but I was super bummed. And so was my husband And I was like, you need to take out this story. He's like, oh, that was my favorite <laughs> part. And I was like, it was my favorite part too. And we're not allowed to use it. <laughs>
0: interesting yeah but
1: but generally this is one of the things that's kept me going because honestly you know I'm an extrovert I I miss people um I like to get getting to know new people and so you know to meet a new person during quarantine and be like oh you like spreadsheets oh we should talk (laughs) so for me all of the conversations have been just amazing um and Yeah, aside from my best friend who made me cut out the funniest story, which I will not (laughs) talk about. Um, No, all the conversations have been great. And my thing is, I do believe there are spreadsheet people and not spreadsheet people, but I don't think anything else is consistent. So for example, I've interviewed CPAs Mm -hmm. and I've interviewed comedians and I've Mm -hmm. interviewed writers and I've interviewed, you you have an MBA and work in politics. So one of my friends was, his brother's boyfriend is an actuary. And I was like, oh, I should probably interview your brother's boyfriend. And he was like, I don't know how the world that would go. (laughs) It's like not all spreadsheet people are actuaries. Mm -hmm. Like spreadsheet people are all kinds of people. And so I've just, I've been really lucky to be able to talk to people who have lots of other interests and spreadsheets are sort of how they manage those
0: interests. Cool.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking time today. I know it is primary week. So I know we uh, we, we all have things going on in our lives. And I really appreciated you taking time out of yours to spend with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. Thanks so much for listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review everywhere you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at column underscore pod. Special thanks to Nora Grace and Josiah for our theme song. Sam Schindler for editing and production, Nick Peterson for additional music, and you for listening. Have a great day.